Welcome to the Christian Worship Center podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you. Visit us online at www.cwcsj.org for service times and directions. We've been we've been uh, speaking on uh, no excuses, and we've been doing a series on no excuses. And I don't know about you, but I hate excuses. Excuses drive me crazy. Uh, I, they drive me crazy as a father when I'm dealing with my kids, drive me crazy in my marriage when me and my wife are dealing with issues. It drives me crazy as a boss when I talk to my staff and ask them to get something done and they give me excuses rather than the results. How many know what I'm talking about right there? How many hate excuses? Now, as a Raider fan, I'm very familiar with excuses. <laughs> We've been going on over almost 10 years worth of excuses. And so uh, it, it drives me crazy as, as, a, as a sports fan when, you're, when the athletes on the team come up with, with excuses as why we lost and so forth. And it, it, just excuses drive me crazy. And today we're going to close out the series that I've been speaking on excuses. And I, I believe that for some of you, this is something I've shared years ago. In fact, the first NFL chapel I've ever spoke was this message. And I spoke this to the St. Louis Rams almost 11, actually 13 years ago. And that was the year they won the Super Bowl. So the message I'm about to share with you helped take a team to the Super Bowl. All right. And so I'm here to tell you this. That that was with Kurt Warner's uh, rookie year. That's why I walked in. There was no one in the room. The first person that was sitting there was this young man, and he introduced himself. He says, hi, I'm Kurt Warner. I didn't have a clue who Kurt Warner was at the time, but by the end of the season, I knew who he was. And I'm here to tell you something. There might be some people that don't know your name today, but I guarantee you, you allow God to do what he wants to do in your life, your name's going to become something that's very famous. Amen? Stand to your feet and turn your Bibles with me to 2 Samuel. As you're turning to 2 Samuel, I want to challenge you and remind you uh, that we have a lot going on. The month of October is our harvest month. Month of October, we got a lot going on. We have the, the dead zone that's starting on Friday night. It's going to go all the way from Friday night to next Thursday. And then uh, next Thursday, is that really, that's this next Thursday, come, uh, not this Thursday, but the next Thursday, then we're going to have the harvest party that's going to be right here in the quad here at Mount Pleasant High School, and uh, we're not going to have one in, in uh, Milpitas, so both campuses are coming together, and we're going to have it here. It's going to be a great time. We need your help for that. I'm going to read this to you, starting in, in 2 Samuel chapter 23. If you're there, say amen. amen. If you're not, say oh man. Okay, that means some of you are still looking. As you're looking, I want you to understand that 2 Samuel records the final moments or final uh, days of King David. And the last word that anyone says are usually the most important words that a person's going to share. And the last moment of someone's life, they don't talk about, hey, can I see my 401k statement? In the last moments of someone's life, they're not talking about, you know, hey, call my boss, see what my work record was. In the final moments of your life, you're going to remember one thing, those that you loved and those that loved you. But my daughter's final words that she shared to her, her mom and I was, mom, I love you. Final words, and her mom looked back and says, baby, I know. I asked, babe, can we lay next to you? And she said, yes. And I laid down next to her. We didn't realize that those were the final words that she would speak. But she didn't ask for her toys. Didn't ask for, 
you know, uh, you know, where's the things that I possess? She wanted mom and dad next to her before she breathed her final breath. And that final breath was so distinct, I'll, I'll remember it forever. As her seven-year-old body lay between me and her mom and she breathed that final breath, we looked at each other and we knew that was it. She was gone. King David is getting ready to breathe his final breath. And he takes painstaking efforts to share the names of those that he ranked closest to him. And not just closest in relationship, but closest in ability and results. You see, many of us want a culture where everyone's equal. But in a culture of equality, although in the United States of America we were all created equal, we're not all equal. Because everyone has different abilities, different talents, different uh, strengths, different uh, you know, challenges, different uh, abilities. All of us have something about us. And I need you to understand, God loves you all the same, but he doesn't favor you all equally. God loves us. Love is because of who God is. Favor is because of our obedience to him. Favor is given based on obedience. Love is given just because that God is love. He doesn't have love. He is love. David takes time to rank his mighty men. Do you hear me? Rank. In fact, some of you husbands here, where would your wife rank you? Are you even number one in her life? Okay, don't, don't answer that. <laughs> my bad, my bad. Where would your kids, where would your kids rank you? Ladies, where would your husband rank you? Rankings are important. We see it in sports. I'm tired of these participation ribbons. Drives me cra- it drives me crazy when we have sporting events and we don't keep the score. Because we're trying to teach the kids on how to, how to, how to compete. On. <laughs> we're not setting them up that there's going to be a winner and loser in life. Yeah. In life, you have to compete to win. In fact, Jesus didn't even call us to participate. He called us more than conquerors. God doesn't want you to compete. He wants you to win. On, Say it again, Pastor. He doesn't want you to compete. He wants you to win. He doesn't want you to be good at work. He wants you to be the best. He doesn't want you to be an all right father. He wants you to be the best. He doesn't want you to get by as a mom. He wants you to be the best. Let let me me share this with you. I got to get to the word. 2 Samuel, because some of your feet are hurting. 2 Samuel 23. (laughs) These are the names of David's mightiest. Someone say mightiest. Mightiest warriors. The first was Joshua. Now, I love this dude, because check this out. Josh Hebeth, Josh Heb, Bath Hebeth. Easy for me to say. The Tachmanite, chief among the captains. So this is number one. He's the chief, okay? In fact, some say that his name meant, I think it's the King James says, the one that sits in the seat. He's the one that makes judgments. The buck stops with him. Goes on and he was called the Dino. Everyone say a Dino. Now, that's much easier to say than the Josh one. Okay? And so for the rest of this message, I'm going to refer to him as a Dino. Okay? Why? Because it's easier. So 
Uh, Dino the Enazite, because he had killed how many men? 800 men at one time. Brother's bad. Now you know why he was number one. Okay? Let's read about number two, verse nine. After him, someone say after him, was Eleazar the son of Dodo, or Dudu, whichever way you want to pronounce it. Hey, I'm just being, that's what the word says. This next word's even worse. The Ahoite. I ain't even going to touch that one. One of the three mighty men of David when they defied the Philistines who gathered there for battle. Then the men of Israel retreated. Somebody say retreat. And he arose. What do you do when everyone else leaves you? What do you do when everyone walks away and you're in the middle of a battle? He arose. He attacked until his hand and attacked the Philistines until his hand became weary and his hand stuck to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day and the people returned after him only to plunder. Someone say number three. Look at verse 11. And after him, someone say after, is Shema. I love saying Shema. Shema. Just say Shema. This guy's bad. Shema, the son of Agi, the Herorite. The Philistines gathered together in a troop, and there was a piece of ground full of lentils. Is a lentil even a bean? I know it's a bean, but is it really a real bean? If you're Latin, a real bean is a pinto bean. <laughs> so the people fled from the Philistines, but he stationed, someone say stationed, himself in the middle of the field, defended it and killed the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. Bow your heads and pray with me. Father, help in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. As you're seated, I need you to understand something very important is that rankings are important. Jesus didn't even treat all his disciples the same. Jesus had one that was close to him, closest to him in John. He had three others that were considered the sons of thunder, the ones that were closest to him, that he took up to the Mount of Transfiguration. He was the ones that he took with him to raise the girl that had died. He didn't always take all the disciples with him everywhere. You see, we want to build a culture of where everyone is equal. But I need you to understand, when you develop a culture where everyone is equal you also miss out on the miracles and giving the people the ability to shine when they have that ability to shine. See, even Jesus ranked people. He loves us all the same, but he favors us different. And so I want you to recognize these three men. Everyone say Adino, Eleazar, and Shema. These men did not offer excuses in fact, as we take a look at their life, there's a book by the name of Stephen Covey that was written years ago called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Today, I want to share with you the seven habits of highly mighty people. Taking a look from these, these men's lives, what made them mighty? And I'm challenging each and every one of you that if you put these principles into practice in your life, not only will you be mighty, but you will be victorious. Say it again, Pastor. You will not only be mighty, you will be victorious. I don't have Tourette's syndrome. I'm just saying this, that if you won't encourage me, I'll encourage myself. 
okay? So I want you to understand rankings are important. We rank in sports. We, we got rankings in, in college football, college, uh, college uh, basketball. We got it in the NFL. There's always, if, we, if rankings weren't important, we wouldn't have the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl tells us who won. They don't give trophies to both sides or participation ribbons out. They crown a champion. In fact, when God looked at you, he said this. Listen, I want you to be the head and not the tail, above and not beneath, a lender and not a borrower. You are more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. And so God doesn't want us just to compete. He wants you to win. That's why he put dominion inside man. When he blew breath into Adam, he wasn't just giving him breath to breathe. He was blowing his DNA into Adam. Oh, you didn't catch that. When God blew his breath into Adam, he was literally blowing in his own DNA. God's a winner. So are you. So I want you to recognize something. David starts counting his men, but David didn't just count his men. He counted on them. And today, as we get into this word, I want to I ask you a question. If I, as your pastor, were to rank you in this church... Where would you rank? If your wife were to rank you in the family, where would you rank? If your husband were to rank you, if your boss at work were to rank you, where would you rank? You see, we're supposed to take dominion in all facets of life, not just in church. Yet I can't get some of you to show up more than two weeks in a row. Well, I went to church last Easter, Pastor. I'll see you in Christmas. Let's take a look at what made these men mighty. Number one, they worked what they had. Come on, somebody say work it. it. See, I need you to understand, each one had a different weapon. Adino had a spear. He operated with the spear. He went into battle with the spear. It was with the spear that he killed 800 men. If I'm going into battle and I got to kill 800 people... The spear is the last weapon I want. Got to throw it. And then pull it back out of them. Yawn again, I'm going to throw it at you. (laughs) Throw it. Pull it back out. Throw it. Pull it back out. I got to chase this thing. To kill 800 men, I can't slash people up with it. I can only poke them with it. See, if I want to kill someone, this is what I want. In those days, this is, I want this to kill 800 men. And yet when, Shem, when you got a Dino going into battle, he had, the sword, he had the spear, not the sword. Eleazar had the sword. Shema had a sword. But a Dino, all he had was a spear. What do you do when what you have isn't what someone else has? How do you bring about victory when you don't have what someone else has? You see, we we have a time, a, a nation of complainers. We complain about what we lack. And I need you to understand, you will never become mighty when you complain what you don't have instead of utilizing and working what you do have. 
every one of them maximized their gifts, their strengths. They used their gifting. They didn't complain about what they lacked. If they had a spear, they used a spear. If they had a sword, they used a sword. They used what was at their disposal. And I'm here to tell you, CWC, that if you want to become mighty in the kingdom, you got to start using what you have. What am I telling you? I need you to grab a hold of this this morning. I need you to grab this. Your addiction wasn't sent to kill you. It was sent to make you famous. Your marital issues were not sent to destroy you. They were sent to make you famous. See, you're not made famous by the giants you face. You're made famous by the giants you kill. So what am I telling you this morning? That the battle you're facing right now is the very thing that you think is going to kill you. No, it's not to kill you. That's the thing that you're using to be made famous. Oh, weren't, you the, weren't you the couple that was about to file bankruptcy? You guys are buying a home? Yeah, because God blessed us. We overcame that thing. I thought you guys were about to divorce. No, no, we ain't divorced. We're cool now. We got this. We worked through this thing. Hey, weren't you the one that was addicted? Now you're running homes? Yeah, that's what I do. I, I, I help people out of their addiction now. Aren't you the one that almost flunked out of high school? You're a teacher now? Yeah, because I want to educate people. I want to get people to new levels. I need you to understand that the very giant you thought was sent to kill you is the one that was sent to make you famous. Secondly, they could be counted on. Someone say they could be counted on. You see, on two occasions in this story, we got people fleeing. Two different occasions they run. Eleazar is standing there with David. And David and the Philistine army are on, the Philistine army is on the, on the, on the hill, and here's David and Eleazar standing there. And the Bible says that they are defying the Philistine army. Come on. And they're standing there, and they're doing this. Want some of this? Come on. Come on, big boy. Come on. Yeah, you in that bright red shirt over there. Want some? Come on, bring it down. Bring it. Don't start none, there won't be none. And they're standing there and they're defying. Now, I want you to capture this. He's standing there with David. Remember, years earlier, there's a giant standing in a valley, calling out to the Israelite army and defying them. And none of them responded except for one by the name of David. And now David, an old man, is now standing here calling him down. Come on. You want something? You know what I did to your man last time? Bring him down. And Eleazar is a youngster standing next to the king thinking, what is this dude doing? (laughs) David, be cool, man. And so he starts talking smack and Eleazar starts talking smack. Bring it. Come on. I'll give you some. You want a taste of my steel? The Philistines respond. They come down the hill. And the army of Israel runs. Eleazar sees everyone running. And King David's not moving. He's like, well, if he ain't moving, I'm not moving. And he stayed while everyone else ran. Let me, let me let you understand something. 
Your family doesn't need you when things are good. They need you when things are bad. See, I don't need you to stand next to me when everything is going great in the church. I need someone that's going to man up and stand next to me when things start going bad. I need someone that's going to say, Pastor, that's all right. All the depths of hell might be coming at us, but we're going to stand right next to you. We ain't going nowhere. We're going to take these suckers down. What am I telling you right now? There's some men in this place that when things get rough in your marriage, divorce is the first word you begin to declare. Your wife needs to know that you're in this for the long haul. I ain't going anywhere, baby. We're going to fight this thing. And if we have to fight them all together, we're going to do this thing together. It's not enough to be counted. you got to be counted on. I don't need you when things are good. I need you when things are bad. When the fight gets tough, are you going to be there? Third thing I want you to notice is they finish their assignments. Preaching this message, you got to figure out what thing I'm going to grab. At what point does Adino, Eleazar, or Shema give up? How many people did he kill? 800 with what? With the spear. And so I want you to notice something. I won't do that, babe. Where's all the yawners at? Anyone over here? At a hundred, isn't his arm getting tired? At 200, isn't he like, okay, 225, 230, 240, 250, 260. Hey, don't don't mess with me. Y'all don't know. Wasn't always a pastor. Why 800? Why not 200? Why not 300? Why not four? Why five? Why not five? I mean, that's an impressive number. A hundred would have been impressive. 200 would have been impressive. 300 would have been amazing. But why 800 men? Because that's how many enemy were still alive. When do you stop? You stop when the enemy is dead. You stop when the threat is over. You stop when the thing is completed. So what am I telling you? When do you stop working on your marriage? You don't. When do you stop working on your children? No, you don't. As long as there's a threat. As long as there's a threat. As long as there's a threat. I'm going to fight for my family. I'm going to fight for my God. I'm going to fight for my community. I'm going to fight for my church. I'm going to fight for my marriage. They finished their assignments. We got people bailing so early. Number four, still with me. They gave even when they didn't understand. 
I'm going to mess with you all on this one. They gave even when they didn't understand. Shema. Where was Shema at? He was where? Beans. Bean field. Lentil bean field. You imagine David giving assignments on that day? And they're sitting there and David says, okay, um, let's see. Uh, Adino, I want you with me because we're, you know, I, I, after you did that 800 thing, we're going to be at the front lines. We're going to take care of this. Uh, Eleazar, dude, you're bad with that sword and so forth. So I'm going to have you do this. I'm going to have you hang out with me and we're going to go over here on the front lines. Now, uh, you're number three, right? Number three, uh, what I'm going to have you do, Shema, is Shema, I want you to go way back about 400, uh, about 40 miles back where the bean field's at. I want you to take care of the lentil bean field. Wait, 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 wait a minute, King. You know who I is? You, you, know, you know how bad I am? Have you seen me with this thing? You don't, you don't want me at a bean field. You want me on the front lines next to you. The king says, no, I want you at the bean field. Go to the lentil. But I don't like lentil beans. <laughs> if it was a real bean like a pinto bean, maybe I'll do it. <laughs> but I don't want to fight for lentil. And he goes, go to the lentil field. And so Shema goes there. And when he gets there, the Bible says that when he gets there, the Philistines attack the lentil field. Not the front lines, but the bean field. Why? Because if they get the bean field... They take the resource and the sustenance for the army. And David knew this. I need someone that is willing and will stand in the fight when things get rough. I need my best man on that field. So there goes Shema. The Bible says that all of a sudden the Philistine army rises up against it. And guess what the Israelite soldiers do? They run. I love what Shema does. He places himself not behind a tree, doesn't hide out. He steps right out into the middle of the bean field. The Bible says he stationed himself, planted himself in the middle of the bean field so all could see, and he defended him by himself. What if no one else defends it? What if no one else fights for your marriage? What if no one else fights for your kids? What if no one else fights for the gospel? What if no one else and everyone else runs? What if no one else stands with you? Shema said this. Listen, I don't understand why you placed me there. I don't know why I'm in this city. Why did you move me to Hollister? Why am I moving through this situation? Why am I going through what I'm going through? you got to understand, God, wherever you call me, King, wherever you place me, I will station myself in the middle of that field, and I will defend it I'm not turning back I'm going to defend it and the Bible says that Shema fought in that field until he killed all the Philistines and it wasn't until then that Israel returned to plunder see I need you to understand some of y'all are going to be so bad that healing of your marriage is going to set other marriages free that's why the enemy's fighting against you 
Some of y'all are going to break out a financial struggle that you're going through right now, and it's going to be so dramatic that it's going to end up setting other people free financially as well. Why? Because they're going to come back to plunder. They didn't fight for it, but you're fighting not just for yourself, but the generations inside of you. My dad was a field worker. He didn't finish until the sixth grade education because the fields were moving. Did I know what the fields were all about? No. Not the fields are bad. Don't get me wrong. But he broke that in us. By the time he retired, he retired from United Technologies and was one of the individuals that had worked on the space shuttle. From the fields to the space shuttle. How do you do that? You station yourself in the middle of your field. What's your field? It might be your family. It might be your community. But you got to find your field and you got to stay there. Number five. I'm I'm almost done. Hang with me, okay? Stay with me. Worship team, will you help me? In fact, uh, Sam, as you're coming down, give me a little little oil and black gospel while you're doing that. Right? Come on, brother. Number five, they were never outnumbered. Turn to your neighbor, tell them, I'm never outnumbered. So I need you to grab a hold. This part is bad. I want you to write, never outnumber. Every occasion, every skirmish, every battle that they went into, the enemy always was larger than what they brought. But like the movie 300, how many have ever seen the movie 300? Bunch of sinners. Sinners watching movies like that. I love 300. Let me put that down. They were never out. I love when in the, the part of the movie where they're getting ready to go to battle and they, they have their 300 soldiers and they come up against one of their allies and they're ready for battle too. And they look at the 300 men that the Spartans have brought. And the king of their, their, their allies looks at him and thought, I, I thought you guys would have been more committed to this fight. This is all you brought. And I love King Leonidas' response. He looks into their army that they brought. He goes, sir, what's your occupation? He says, a potter. And what's your occupation? Blacksmith. What's your occupation? And after he answers, King Leonidas looks back at his 300. And says, Spartans, what is your occupation? Ahu, 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 ahu. They can't even say soldier. That's how much of a soldier they are. (laughs) And he turns around and looks at the king who questioned their commitment and said, it looks like I brought more soldiers than you did. When you're in Christ, you and God make a majority. Say it again, Pastor. When you are in Christ, you and Christ make a majority. It doesn't matter how many from the gates of hell are coming against you. If I am standing with God, I am not alone. I outnumber you. You don't outnumber me. You will not outnumber me because as long as I have God on my side, as long as God is on my side, I said as long as God is on my side, nothing... No one can come against me. 
For if God be for you, if God be for you, who can be against you? Number six, they never offered excuses, just results. One more again, girl. One more again. Never offered excuses, just results. In fact, I want you to recognize something as we take a look at this. As the worship team comes up. Mighty men don't offer excuses, they get results. See, when it comes time to people coming to set up at a school... At 7.30, you're wondering, well, how can we got to do this? Where is everyone at? Why do I got to be here? Why do I got to do this? Why? You don't offer excuses. Just get it done. Why? Because you're preparing for people that are going to come to worship God. See, if it wasn't for the 7.30 people, none of this would be set up right now. I want you to notice something. Take a look at the screen. Check this out. Excuses. Abraham Lincoln, probably the great, one of the greatest presidents that ever sat. Take a look at this man. In 1816, his family was forced out of their home. And he had to work to support him. And two years later, his mom dies. A couple years after that, he fails in business. A few, one year later, he runs for state legislator and, legislature and loses. And that's, that very same year, he also loses his job, wants to go to law school, but he can't get in. Next year, he borrows money to start a business, goes bankrupt, and ends up spending the next 17 years trying to pay off that debt. But you know what? He keeps on going. He runs for legislator again, and this time he, won, he wins. So he's on the top of the mountain. Things must be great. Nope, because what happens? He gets engaged a year later. His sweetheart dies. And when she dies, he ends up for the next six months in bed because of a total nervous breakdown. Two years later, he seeks to become the speaker of the state legislator, and he's defeated. 1840, he's defeated again to become an elector. He runs for Congress. Uh, three years later, he loses. In 1846, he, he runs for Congress, and he wins this time. He goes to, to Washington, does a great job. Two years later, he runs for election for Congress, and he loses. Seeks a job as a land officer in his home state, rejected. Ran for state senate and lost. Runs for... Seats the vice presidential nomination at his party's convention gets less than a hundred votes. Come on, somebody. 1858, he runs for Senate again and he loses again. You know, most of us, we never would have made it past 1818. Mama. My mom was gone. I loved her. We can't handle loss. Many would have given up right there, but he doesn't give up. He keeps on going, starts a business, the business fails. He ends up getting a victory in his life, gets about to get married, and his love dies. 
Many of us would have shut it down right there, but he keeps on going. And if he hadn't kept on going, who knows where slavery would be at today? What I'm telling you right now is many of us give up way too early in our families, in our dreams, in our hopes, and in our spiritual lives. We just say this is just the way it's going to be. As I close, I want you to recognize this. What was it that made this man stay and fight? What was it that made this man, Eleazar, Listen to this part about Eleazar. He's standing there with King David and they're fighting off the enemy. They're, they're going crazy fighting. I mean, he's swinging and he's swinging so long that the Bible says that when the battle was over, that the sword stuck to his hand. He's done fighting and he's. He can't. He can't get, he can't let go of the sword. The sword is stuck to his hand. Listen to me. When my wife and I went through the loss of our baby girl, there was a point during that time no one saw it that I wanted to let go of the word. You know, I try, try to let go of it. I, I've been fighting so long. There were, you know, I'm just done. I'm done. It's over, okay? We made it through this crisis, and I found myself trying to drop the sword. But I couldn't drop it because the sword had no longer was I holding the sword, but the sword was holding me. No, you didn't hear me. I said I wasn't holding the sword any longer. The sword was holding me. And no matter how much I wanted to let it go, I couldn't drop the sword because the sword had become part of me. When you allow the Word of God to fight your battles, when you get into the Word and the Word begins to drive you, you'll find points in your life that you want to let go of God. But you can't. Because God has gotten a hold of you. I know some of y'all want to quit. I know some of you want to give up. You know what? And you have every right to. Things some of you guys have gone through, you have every right to give up. But you're mighty because you won't. The last point was simply this. They were driven by loyalty, not by limelight. I'm standing in my ground because I'm committed to my king. Amen. My king called me here. My king placed me here. And I'm going to continue to attack any enemy that is coming against my king. I'm not leaving this spot. I'm standing here in the field with my king. Any enemy of his is an enemy of mine. And I'm not running when times get rough. 
I'm going to stand here with you, king. And some of you, need to, some of you men need to let your wife know that. Some of you wives need to let your husbands know that. I'm not going anywhere. Some of you need to let your kids know that. I'm not going anywhere. I'm in this thing with you for the long haul. And the Shema's that stand there when no one is around them. It's easy to fight when you have someone next to you. Can you fight and be loyal when everyone is run away? Eleazar, 800. Adino, 800. Eleazar stood with David alone and Shema defended the bean field. As I close this morning, I want to ask you a simple question. Where do you rank? Where do you rank? Bow your heads with me this morning. Thank you for downloading this message. For more information on our church, visit us at www.cwcsj.org.